thank God for our staff team. God has raised up an incredible team. And if you haven't checked out the website in a while and looked through, uh, look at the different people, faces, names, that really it's a gift uh, what the Lord has brought together in this season. And God is building up the team as well. And so I want to introduce Wayne. Also, Bennett is here, one of our elders. Come on over, guys. Come on over. And uh, let's, let's give it up. That's right. <clears throat> Maybe you've already met Wayne. He's serving with worship ministry, young adults, and lots of different places. And Wayne is stepping into a new role. And it's something we haven't done before. It's a pastor in training role. And Wayne is going to be focusing on local outreach here in Auburn. And Wayne has a full-time job. He has a lot of gifts and talents. And he has an incredible team in the marketplace. They uh, include branding for teams like the Dodgers, uh, also, the Mariners this year, uh, they're, they're doing uh, branding for the Mariners, and they made the playoffs, just saying. Uh, but anyways, um, but he, you know, the Apostle Paul had um, two roles, two jobs, two settings. It's bivocational is the term, where someone works in the marketplace, the Apostle Paul is a tent maker, and then also serves on the church staff. And uh, there's a calling on Wayne's life, and he is responding to God's calling, and he's diving into ministry here. We're excited to bring him on, pastor and training for local outreach, and uh, we thank God. Thank God for, for you, Wayne. You're, you're a gift. We love you. Appreciate you. <laughs> So uh, go ahead, Bennett, and we're going to now pray for Wayne, and we want to commit him and his new role to the Lord. Shall we pray? Holy and righteous, eternal, immortal, invisible, our loving Heavenly Father, we praise you because you're worthy of all honor and glory and praise. Lord, we commit our dear brother, Wayne, your faithful child, and He's going to take up a new role uh, in the outreach ministry, Father. Nothing happens without the knowledge of the Holy God. And thank you for including him in your uh, plan so that the people, not only in their sound, but through him, many will come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, when Joshua took over the reins from Moses... This is what you encourage Joshua with. Joshua, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Only be bold and courageous. Stand strong. Observe everything that is in the book of the law and meditate on it day and night so that it will go well with you. Heavenly Father, committing our dear brother into your hands, give him the grace, Lord, to meditate on thy word day and night and observe everything written in thy word so that, Lord, he can be an effective vessel for God's glory and your name be glorified and countless people in this region will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that he also praying that You empower him, fill him with your spirit, power, wisdom, understanding, protection. Grant him all the favor. And as he fought the battle for Moses, Joshua, and the children of Israel, Lord, be with him and fight for him and open the hearts of the people through the spirit that is indwelling in him, Father. All honor and glory to you, Lord. Once again, we commit him, his ministry, his uh, new role into your faithful hands. In Jesus Christ's most precious name we pray. Amen. 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 
Amen. It's a joy to get to know Wayne. I know you're going to enjoy serving with him and uh, conversations with him as well. Continue to keep him in prayer. All of us together, we're saying yes to God. And what is God's next step for us? The perspectives class that you heard about this morning, it is the best class across the nation, literally for decades. And God has used that class in amazing ways. I strongly uh, encourage you to consider that class and what you're gonna learn from the Bible, what you're gonna learn about what God's doing in the world today and what God is gonna put in your heart through that class and the vision and the involvement participation, your love to bless people from all nations. It's a powerful, powerful class. And we're so grateful. We've been planning for years to host it here. And it's, it's finally coming. So praise the Lord for his provision. At the end of this message, there's an opportunity as we do it once a month to come forward for prayer. Maybe you're here today and you really need some personal prayer. There's a situation, could be a health situation, relationship, discouragement. And the elders are going to be here to pray for you and the anoint with oil from James chapter 5. Uh, I'll tell you, it has uh, been so powerful to hear how God has answered prayer and stories of healing that have come through this prayer time every month. And we're doing it under the Lord and it's his strength and power. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us and the many ways that you're working in our church family, in our own families, at home, in our hearts, God, and the new things you're doing locally and globally. Uh, we want to keep in step with the Spirit, not run ahead, not drop behind, but be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, God, for empowering us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in a series in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3 today, Continue Forward. And maybe you've had some moments lately where you've been tempted to stumble, where you've been tempted to be silent and passive, maybe a little discouraged. And Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is mentoring Timothy. As we go through this series, you might think about who you're mentoring and discipling right now. Or maybe you're learning in a role where someone's mentoring you. And the truth is God has empowered us. God is empowering us, and God wants to empower you even more than he has in the past. Timothy's experiencing that as he steps into this new role. It's in Ephesus. He's the pastor there. He didn't see it coming, but many of the blessings in life you don't see coming, but you know it has your name on it. And empowerment is a major theme in this book, and here's a chart, kind of a quick summary of where we're at in this book so far and some things we've emphasized. You can either be limited or empowered. Limited is a mindset that it's just about Sundays. Empowered is every day. Limited means I go to church and you're at church. Empowered means we are the church. Limited is just one building. Empowered is all places where we live, work, learn, or play. We're gonna abide. Limited is kind of lukewarm in the home spiritually. Empowered is our homes are vibrant. There's incredible things happening. Limited, pretty silent about Jesus. Empowered, you're speaking. Limited is passive. Empowered, you're a priest. You already are a priest. That's not something you can decline when you follow Jesus. God declares it. It's your identity. It's who you are. Priests are representative of God, and they talk to other people about God, and they talk to God about other people. And what an honor that you are a priest. That's empowerment from God. Limited is just trying harder. Empowered, spirit-filled. Limited is fearing people. Empowered, I'm gonna honor God. Limited, giving up. Empowered, rising up. Limited is lots of hidden sins in my life. Empowered, I'm walking in the light. 
that's a clear contrast where God is leading us in the Bible, in this book as well. And Jesus saves us. We are headed towards an eternity without God. And because of his death, his sacrifice, his resurrection, we have eternal life. We're in God's family forever. We also have life now. And God wants to help us to come fully alive in this short time that we're here on earth. And Paul's writing this to Timothy. He sees potential in Timothy. No one sees as much potential in you as God. And God will speak into that calling and gifting and potential. And he'll do it through other people. Paul's writing to Timothy and he's, he's thinking at this point in, in his heart. And maybe if you're in the role of a parent or grandparent, you have this wrestling. How do I prepare this child, this grandchild? How do I prepare Timothy for what's coming? What do I say? What about the disappointment? that's going to be coming? What about some of the realities, the challenges that he's going to face as he's leading the church in Ephesus? How do I prepare him? What do I say? What do I not say? I can't overprotect him. He's gonna be in some things, but how do I prepare him? You know, you see a lot in ministry. It's been said police officers and pastors really see a lot. And how in this role is Timothy going to be ready? And what could Paul say to him to prepare him? Well, in chapter three, verse one, Paul starts, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. That tone right there, it's kind of direct, clear. We're going to talk about reality here, Timothy. The last days is also referred to theologically as the messianic era. And that's the time in between Christ's first coming and his second coming. So we are in the last days. We're in between the first and second coming of Christ. There's also an intensification, an acceleration that happens the closer you get to the return of Christ. And we're gonna see a list here. There's about 20 characteristics, ungodly. It's spelled out very clearly. And this list is helpful. And it's something that you see around the world in all societies. And the reason Paul is presenting this to Timothy is so Timothy will not quit. Have you ever been tempted to just quit on what God's called you to do? The role, the job, the ministry. So Timothy wouldn't despair. He wouldn't be hopeless. He wouldn't retreat. He wouldn't be silent. He wouldn't complain like so many people are going to do. But instead, he would overcome these challenges in Jesus' name, by abiding with Jesus. Here's three situations and realities that Paul's gonna lay out that were true then and they're true today. The first situation is when the culture becomes more ungodly, proud, and manipulative. And starting in verse two, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sometimes in our culture today, people are like, I never imagined, I never thought what's going on today could happen. It's like, well, actually God's described it now for a couple thousand years and the same reason God writes it then for us today is the same reason Paul's talking to Timothy so you won't get too discouraged, you won't get too rattled, you won't get too shaken by what's happening in the world when you see it played out. People 
sometimes today try to describe well, what's right and what's wrong. And we live in a culture that tries to flip it. And the culture tries to say right is wrong and wrong is right. And so there's confusion. Well, what does it look like to be ungodly and rebel against God? That's why this list is helpful. It's very specific. It's very clear. And in the middle of the rebellion, you can identify it. Even in your own heart, you're going to be tempted every day to run towards that list. And there's something inside of us every day. We're trying to decide, am I going to worship God or am I just going to do everything I want to do and feel like doing? If you conform to the patterns of this world, you are going to end up in this list. Don't just go with the flow today. You've got to make a decision to receive God's love and walk with God and honor God. Or else, you know what happens, self-centered. People be full of themselves, love themselves way more than they love anyone else. There's narcissism, there's pride. And people start to think, I don't need God. I don't need his wisdom. I don't need his presence. I am self-sufficient. I've got degrees, experience. I come from a good family. I can push God away. And then pretty soon it'll lead to without, without forgiveness, without love, without gratitude, without prayer, without worship. And then slanderous. That's the same root word as the devil. Slandering other people, tearing people down. In Romans chapter one, starting in verse 28, there's another list that's kind of a parallel passage. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. When people really want sin, God you know, he, he is rebuking, he is warning, but if someone really wants sin, there they go. He gave them over so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. And it continues, slanderous, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, right? Like, here's a new way. Hey, no one's done this. Let's do this. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they will not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. There are shifts with sin. And the first one is to allow it. A culture that used to say that sin suddenly says, sin, let's allow it. Let's allow it. And then pretty soon that'll grow and not just allowing it, but approving it, the passage says, so that sin's a good thing. And then there'll be an agenda that's aggressive, approving and promoting the sin. And eventually there'll be an attack on anyone who doesn't approve the sin. Did you see the shift there that the Bible talks about? Allow, approve, agenda, aggressive, attack those who don't agree. That's what happened throughout history. It's important to know church history. And so as you watch that play out in different cultures and you see those shifts happen, what's sacred becomes something that is seen as horrendous. God's word is sacred, but there are people who oppose it, attack it, and hate it. Because why? They choose sin over God and his word. 
And seeing that played out for a pastor like Timothy stepping into Ephesus and seeing that played out in his context, he might start to wonder, am I a failure? What should I do? He might start to give in to some of those cultural trends. It might change the way that he lives and talks about Jesus and his boldness and his clarity. He might start to blend in and step back and not want to, you know, ruffle any feathers. And watching all that happen, he's got some decisions to make. And we've got decisions to make in our culture And how do we respond? Because what is sacred is still sacred. Even though people say it's offensive, what is sacred is still sacred. And God is still good and God is still with us and God still has a plan, Timothy. Well, the second situation, what about when religious people do not want the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit? Verse five, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. There's dead religion, there's false teaching, there's superficial Christianity. And it's in abundance and it increases as you get closer to Christ's return. There's more deception, more false teaching. There is more dead religion and superficial Christianity. It's hard to distinguish at first because it's usually a mixture of some truth and some lies. It might be a couple Bible passages and then a whole bunch of other things that don't line up with the Bible. And you know what? It's got the form of religion. It's got the form of religion. So it might have a building. It might even have a cross on the building. It's gonna have the language, the rituals. It might have some of the traditions. It might have some of the scripture. It might even look like the doctrine is pretty solid. It's gonna have some of these things. It'll have the form, but it will not have the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's very different. And so be discerning, be discerning. There's gonna be in the end times a watering down. Well, why do pastors water stuff down? Well, because we're human and we like to be liked. We like to please people. We wanna see churches grow. We wanna see everyone happy. And so the temptation of pastors is water down the word So maybe the church will grow, people will be happy, won't step on any toes, no conflict, just water it down. We wanna grow, so water it down. And besides, what do people really, really, really want in America? They really wanna be comfortable. That's what they really, really, really want. So you know what, pastors? Make them comfortable. Make them comfortable because that's what they really want. So water it down, water it down a little more, quiet down, tell them they can be quiet in the culture. They don't have to shine their light in the world. They can just blend in, play it safe, retreat, play it safe again, give them that message. And then pretty soon there's a moral and spiritual decay that happens in the culture and then heads down. Water down, quiet down, heads down. Why? Because we know God's called us to shine the light and the truth of Jesus in this world and not just watch decay happen, but he's empowered us. So commit yourself to God and all he wants to do and may Grace Community Church be all God wants us to be. May we be humble and authentic and serving and kind and connect with people in our community and meet needs and bless them and pray for them and display the hands and feet of Jesus where we live, work, learn, or play. That's what we're committed to doing in this culture. That's it, Timothy, do that in Ephesus. 
And there's one other situation. What about when people oppose you and they also oppose the truth? It's a both and. They're gonna go against you personally, Timothy, and they're gonna go against the principles that you're teaching. It's gonna be both. There's gonna be opposition. Paul writes it this way, and he gives a couple interesting examples. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, they are rejected. But they will not get very far, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone." False teachers never live a shining life. When your theology is off, then your life is gonna reflect your false teaching. And it's reflected in a couple ways here. There's a little bit of mystery. We don't know exactly what's happening, but these false teachers, they know who to target. They know who's vulnerable. They know who's gullible. It's just like if you have someone show up in a setting who abuses children, they groom, they know who to target. It's a sad, sad, tragic reality, but there are people in our culture who are looking someone they can take advantage of. I can't tell how many scams that are aimed at seniors saying, all right, they're gonna try to steal their money, right? Anyone they can dupe, they're gonna try to steal their money. Uh, It's all ages, it's all people. This is a group of women. We don't know a lot of details about them. They appear to be carnal. There's some lust there. Uh, They're eager to hear the latest teaching. So they're teachable. And you know what the false teachers are like? Oh, they're eager to hear it. They're easily swayed. They're not mature in the faith. Let's just worm our way into their homes and lead them astray, take advantage of them. And Paul's like, that's false teachers right there. That's what they do. And again, Paul's calling them out. And then Janus and Jambres, this is a Jewish tradition. They're not in the Old Testament uh, by name. It's not another passage we can refer to. But in Jewish tradition, they're known as Egyptian magicians. And the teaching traditionally was that they were part of the group where Moses in Exodus is having conversations. There's Egyptian magicians who are trying to repeat the same plagues. Uh, What we know is that the magicians were limited, not empowered, because they didn't know the God of heaven. And so there were plagues and they tried to reproduce them and they could not do it. And it was clear to everyone. In Exodus chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, but when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. See, they're not relying on God. They have their magic and things they, they turn to. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen just as the Lord had said. You have Egyptian magicians at that time that again, their limited power, their spiritual darkness is going to be seen and it's gonna be evident. The sin, the folly, listen, you can only hide sin for so long. You can only hide sin for so long. You know what the Bible says? It's going to be seen and known by everyone. Either coming before God at the end of our days or it just has a way of surfacing. It has a way of surfacing. And the folly is known by everyone because what you think is done in secret just has a way of surfacing in how God does that. So the message here, Timothy, live 
and walk in the light. Live as if everyone's watching you all day long. Because the truth is God is watching you. And the truth is there's accountability. In Timothy, as a pastor, the standards are even higher. So live with integrity, honor God, walk in truth, and do that not just when people are watching you. Oh, a lot of people do it when everyone's watching. But it's the moments in secret where no one sees it. That's the time, Timothy, where you go for it in terms of integrity and commitment to God. And you walk in purity and you honor God. Because many won't, many won't. So go deep with the Lord, invite him in. And you know what? Here's the irony, Timothy. You're gonna walk in purity and people are gonna go after you harder than ever before. You're gonna walk in purity. You say, no, I'm not sleeping with someone until marriage. And then everyone in high school is gonna go, what in the world do you believe? You say, no, I'm actually not getting drunk with you guys tonight. I'm doing something different. Well, why not you share Jesus and people start to look at you. You know, things are gonna happen in your walk where you're gonna do the right thing. You're the right thing. You're gonna do the right thing. And you know what? The opposition's gonna increase. In that moment, Don't get discouraged. Remember this, that's how they treated Jesus. Remember this, Moses was treated that way. The prophets were all treated that way. Elijah was treated that way. John the Baptist was treated that way. The apostles were treated that way. It is a high honor to suffer and sacrifice and serve the Lord. And when the culture brings more opposition, don't you lose heart. Don't you compromise that integrity. You shine for Jesus when the world gets darker. May your light shine brighter, Timothy. May it shine brighter. So that's the walk, Timothy. That's the reality. And inside, again, Timothy, just like us, is gonna be wrestling and thinking, well, I could just quit or I could stay quiet. Those are usually the two options that people choose. You know what? I could just quit on my calling. I could just quit with the gifts God's given me, making disciples. I could just quit on that and do a bunch of other things. Or I could still go to church, but I'll just be a quiet Christian. I'll just be quiet. So I'm not gonna quit. I'm just gonna be quiet. Well, Timothy, that would ease opposition. That would make your life more comfortable, but you will not be faithful to God if you're quitting and being quiet, Timothy. So what are you gonna do, Timothy? And Paul says, you, however, you are different than the world. You have an identity, but as for you, he's saying personally to him, this is what you know. And here comes the encouragement that Paul's gonna flood into Timothy, where you can just see Timothy getting, um, yes, yes, yes. And it's gonna build up right here, uh, starting in verse 10. Paul says to Timothy, imagine your mentor saying this, you, however, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And the first thing is that you know inspiring people. You have some people in your life that you've watched their lives closely and you know, you see God in them. You see a kindness. You see a faithfulness. 
You see a love and respect, a patience. You have people in your life, and you could think right now that you see Jesus in them, and they inspire you. And for Timothy and Paul, that was one of those relationships. And it wasn't just because Paul led nice devotions and he had a great couple sounding prayers and you know they had a couple meals together. No, this is what happened in Acts chapter 14. Paul went into Lystra. Timothy is from Lystra, his hometown. Some of the Jews at that point came from Antioch and Iconium. They won the crowd over. They stoned Paul. That was common practice, stoning when you're gonna kill someone. They dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. He looked dead, felt dead. Maybe they didn't check the pulse long enough. They just assumed, man, he's pounded. There's blood everywhere. Uh, It's beyond concussion, like he's done. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas, they left for Derby. They continued forward. They continued forward. And Paul, in that courageous moment, in that defining moment, in Timothy's hometown, that would change generations. It would change the culture in Lystra. Why? Because they saw something legitimate in Paul. They saw conviction. They saw clarity. They saw compassion. They heard about Christ in such a way that Timothy's life was changed. The city was changed. Listen, when you stick your neck out on the line and you go the second mile and you pay the price for doing what is right, you leave a legacy for people. They don't forget that. They might not pat you on the Back that moment, but your kids notice. My mom, my dad, they don't just talk Jesus, they live it when no one's watching, when the rubber hits the road, they're in, they're in. And don't think that that moment was lost on Timothy for a second. Your kids and grandkids are watching far more than you know. They're looking for something inspiring. They're looking for courage in this culture. They're looking for someone who will walk like that. They're looking for mentors. They're looking for something that's legitimate. There's been so much stuff that's nonsense and double talk and this way at church, this different way at home. Like they're not having that. They wanna see that it's real. And Timothy knows that Paul is real. It's gotta be real and full of love and full of truth. And Paul was consistent. May God raise up consistency in the body of Christ. Private and public, words, attitudes, and actions looking like the Bible, talking like Jesus, that kind of consistency, because that's where lives are changed. And what does that mean for us? It means sometimes when we feel like running away, we actually run towards and redeem. It means when we feel like being silent, we actually speak up. It means when we feel hopeless, we actually bring hope and give hope to other people. When we feel like quitting, That's when we start thanking and praising God and worshiping God. When we are tempted to be selfish, that's when we serve, even if there's no applause. And when we're outnumbered and the opposition increases, that's when we stand our ground and we declare, I'm gonna trust God today. (laughs) Timothy, you know inspiring people and you know what is right. Sin begets sin. Doubts beget doubts. Disbelief begets disbelief. Disobedience begets disobedience. Disrespect begets disrespect. Deception begets deception. Those who are involved in it, they find other people, they spread it, they try to persuade, and they will pull people away from God. They'll pull people away from what's right. 
They will pull you away, they'll involve you. Subtly, intentionally, unintentionally, they will pull you in. But Timothy, you know God's given you the Holy Spirit inside of you. God's given you his word. God's given you a conscience to know and right and wrong, to do the next right thing no matter what. One of my heroes in the Bible is Joshua. And he declares in a culture that's going the wrong direction, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'll tell you, every generation needs to make that declaration. Just because your parents have made it or your grandparents, like you've got to decide, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Christ will be at the center of this marriage. Christ will be honored in this home. The children are going to learn about the love of Jesus. That's where he starts, in his home. That's where it starts in your home. Don't, don't be pointing the finger at church saying, well, it all starts at church. It's all about church. No, it starts in the heart and in the home. Do it there first, and then we gather at church. And, and Joshua knows, as for me and my house, but he knows it doesn't stay in the home. It's got to go into the community. In a, in a generation that just wanted to stay in the wilderness and complain and point fingers and find more reasons to complain and grumble. You ever tempted to grumble? You got like a top 10 list of grumbling. People around you, they know you. Well, I usually grumble about that. I grumble about this. I complain about this. Like you got your top 10 list, right? You know where it leads you? Circles in the wilderness. That's all it does. It just keeps you in the wilderness. Joshua says, we're not complaining. We're not grumbling. We're trusting God. We're going forward. God said it. We believe it. Let's live it. Well, he didn't get many amens. He got one amen from Caleb. He got one amen. Sometimes one amen is all you need. Sometimes you say amen all by yourself. You don't even get one amen. But he knew we got to consecrate ourselves. There was a calling for consecration and that we're going to cross the Jordan. And even though we're 40 years too late, even though we're a generation that's missed it, we're going to go forward, cross the Jordan, and we're going to trust God where he's leading. We're going to trust the Lord. Um, you know, Spirit of Joshua, the, the next verse here, verse 14, chapter three, verse 14 says this. But as for you, again, personal, caring, kind, but as for you, continue, there it is, continue forward, continue. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the scripture which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. You know inspiring people. You know what is right. You know your calling. You become convinced. You have conviction. There's a calling on your life. There's a calling on your life today. And Peter had a calling. It's compelling. It's a compelling calling from God. He's empowering you. You know, in Acts chapter 10, I was looking over these verses yesterday and thought, I gotta read these. Peter says, we are witnesses of everything Jesus did. And they killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. That's our Jesus, death and resurrection of Jesus. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And here it is, he commanded us. Three words, compelling. They, they continue forward. Why? Because he commanded us to preach to the people and tell them the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. What we need to know is that God has commanded us. 
And you know, Peter wrestled, didn't like that because God led him to the Gentiles. And Peter had a thinking that God only wants me to love these people, primarily Jews, and shattering the cultural norms, shattering his plan for his own life. Why? Because God commanded, so it was time to continue forward and go love the Gentiles. And Cornelius is the first, and then the gospel spreads. There was clarity from God It's compelling, it's a calling, and it's a command. You heard Melanie's story. She was a skeptic, but the goodness of God changed her heart. We probably have skeptics in this room, and the goodness of God is changing your heart. And you know what happened? When you love God, you start to love people from all nations because there's people from all nations in heaven, and God loves people from all nations. And now Melanie's ministry with Dave and Green River But there's a command to go and love people and serve and make disciples. There's a command. What God has made clear in the light, don't question it in the dark. What God has revealed in the light to you, don't question it in the dark. What God has made clear about how he's guiding you and gifted you, he's made it plain, you know it. Don't question it when the culture starts to go sideways. Don't question it when your emotions sink a little bit. Don't question what God has made clear in the light. God has called us, Grace Community Church, for such a time as this, to be prayerful, to be humble, to fast, to pray, to be united, many cultures and generations united together to serve one another, to build up this house, to connect, to be in God's word, to be doers of God's word, to shine his light, to see Auburn transformed, to bless the nations. God has called us to do this. God has called us and we're so thankful and we lean on the Lord. We rely on his strength. And also, you know the word. Paul says the Holy Scriptures. In the Jewish culture, a child would begin to formally study the Scriptures at age five. Paul says from infancy, you have known the Scriptures. Why? Because Lois and Eunice, Timothy's mother and grandmother, the ministry you have as a parent and grandparent, the ministry you have, that investment is gold. It is so valuable. The prayers, the encouragement, the love, training up the next generation. That might be your primary ministry. And if you don't have biological children, looking around, grace kids, we've got so many kids, middle school, high school, elementary right now, we're just looking, you know, who else could love and teach the kids right now? Because God is bringing so many right now in this season. You see that ministry to Timothy, you teach your kids a lot of things. You know, I can remember teaching my kids to tie their shoes, to to put on a seatbelt, to throw and catch a ball. I, I remember teaching them you can't double dip with chips. You, you just can't dip that salsa, take a big bite, and then go back in. Like, it's not in the Bible. Sometimes I feel like it could be, but it's not in the Bible, but you just gotta trust dad on this one. There's no double dipping, right? You're teaching your kids things all the time. Teach them the word. Teach them the word. Train them in the word so that they know it. Every time you share the word, they're not gonna say, oh, thank you for that wonderful devotion. I just so appreciate, that was so timely. But you know what? They might be playing with something here and you're wondering, you know, did they fully pay attention? But you know, it might be a couple years later. It might be when you're not in the room that all of a sudden what you shared with them, what you invested with them, that helped them out. It might be a key part of the turnaround 
when they're going through a difficult time and their peers are putting pressure on them. You see, you, you bring the word, teach them the word. Uh, in the garden, you know, all that mattered, going back to the beginning of the Bible, all that mattered, what did God say? What did God say? Was the devil there? Yep. Was temptation there? Yep. Did Adam and Eve have some desires inside of them that didn't really align with God? Yep. And, and you cut through all of that and what's at the crux? What does God say? What does God say? We have a generation right now that needs to know what God has said in love and in truth. Build them up. And you're seeing the fruit here with Timothy. And the last is you know the Lord. Paul uses the phrase in Christ Jesus, powerful phrase. When you put your trust in Jesus, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are a new creation. You have a new identity. You are in Christ. You are not alone. And you say, what about when things get challenging? God provides, God rescues, he heals, he restores. We're gonna have an invitation in a minute and it's gonna be an opportunity to come forward. Why do we come forward? Because it's a way to physically, Melanie shared the verse, you're gonna seek me and find you and you seek me with all your heart. Um, when there was a man with a shriveled hand, he said, stretch forth that hand and there's healing. There's often not a healing before revealing. And in the Bible, James chapter five, there's a coming forward. Can we all uh, agree that prayer is wonderful and coming up for prayer, it's no shame, it's no guilt. It's a wonderful opportunity to say, God, I need healing, I need restoration, I need wisdom, our family needs you. In this area of my life right now, God, I need you. And you have people who love you, they're gonna pray for you. So I'm gonna invite the elders to come forward right now. They're gonna be along the front here spread out. So when you come up, you can just slip down whatever aisle's easiest for you. And uh, they have oil. They're just gonna ask you, what do you need prayer for? You share it, they're gonna pray for you. And uh, as that happens, we're honoring the Lord. This is a place of prayer. This is a house of prayer. And God uh, answers prayer and it's his power in our weakness when we pray and he gets the glory. So if there's been conviction today and you say, you know, I need to turn from sin. If today's the first time you're gonna put your trust in Jesus, we invite you to come forward and just tell one of the elders, I wanna put my trust in Jesus. If you need healing, your mind's just not quite right, your body, what do you need healing for? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Uh, as Paul loves Timothy, as you love Paul, the empowering that happens, the strengthening that happens. God, sometimes we feel beat up. Sometimes we feel like we're not sure if we can continue forward. God, you call us to things that are far bigger than us and we need you. God, we run out of strength, run out of patience, run out of love, run out of forgiveness. We pray that you would restore today. We seek you together. We thank you for this time of prayer. Guide us in Jesus' name.